0: The following audio message is from Neighborhood Church in Overland Park, Kansas. At Neighborhood Church, we seek to be a community that loves God and our neighbors together. If you would like to learn more about Neighborhood Church, please go to www.neighborhoodchurchop.com. Thanks for letting me preach. Um, It's good to be here this morning on this rainy day. I'm I'm teaching on Noah and the flood, so it's uh, appropriate. Um, For those who don't know me, my name is Jess. I'm on the leadership team here at Neighborhood Church and volunteer for all kinds of stuff. And I'm happy to be preaching this morning. Um, So we're going into the story of Noah. And we've already, so we're in chapter, the end of chapter four, and we're starting into chapter five in Genesis. Um, I just want to review kind of what's already happened because it leads into this story. We're kind of, on this descent from the garden. This, we're continually falling um, from the sin that Adam and Eve committed in the garden. Um, so Adam and Eve fall from the garden. Then they have two sons, Cain and Abel. And Cain kills his brother Abel. And because of this, uh, Abel dies and Cain is cursed. Um, and and that's, that's where Dave, Dave preached on Cain and Abel last week. Part of the curse of Adam and the curse of Cain, interest, interestingly enough, is God curses the ground. So, so when, when Adam is cursed with death, along with Eve being cursed with pain and childbirth, and the serpent being cursed, um, God also curses the ground. Um, he says that there will be thorns and thistles and stuff grow up, and it'll be hard to have a harvest from the ground. And the same thing happens with Cain. When Cain kills his brother Abel, God curses the ground as well as curses Cain and says, you won't be able to um, be a farmer anymore or an agriculturalist. You'll be a wanderer. Okay? So after the after Cain and Abel, we uh, in chapter 4, we have the line of Cain. And then in chapter 5, we have... The line of Seth. Seth is the other son of Adam and Eve. After Abel dies, they have another son, and his name is Seth. And so we have these two lines, and I wish we could go into it, because they're really interesting. But basically, the line of Cain is, they're building cities with walls, and um, they, they, they build weapons. Um, it's, it's kind of like the dark side, and then the line of Seth is is kind of more the light side. <laughs> People in the line of Seth are calling out to God. They're worshiping. Um, there, there's a man named Enoch in the line of Seth and he walks with God. Um, and, and so we kind of have these two polar opposites and then we come into uh, chapter 6 and you, you think that maybe like the line of Seth, something good is going to happen to it. Um, but let me read this in Genesis 6:11 through 12. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Um, so the line of Seth gets corrupt, um, and the, the line of Cain is still doing what it's doing, and the whole earth is filled with violence and I want to talk about this, this corruption, like why, what is this corruption of the earth? You know, I mean, are people just doing things that God doesn't like, you know, and then God's angry about it, or is there something kind of more deeper that's going on? Um, and I want to get into this by, by exploring the idea of space, and you, there's a slide, space, all right. This isn't outer space. And and you know even we're we're very materialistic in our thinking. So when we think of space, we think in three dimensions. We're like, this is a space. Um, in in the Bible and in the in the ancient world, this idea of space they don't call it space, but that's what I'm going to call it because it you can see you can see it in use. I'm going to go back to Genesis one when God creates the world, and, and God creates spaces. And the way he does that is by uh, dividing one thing from another and filling it. So Dave talked about this when he preached on the creation. And uh, so before creation, the earth was a formless void. There was no form, and it was empty. And then what does God do? He creates a form, he forms it, and then he fills it. And so this is the creation process. And then even within those forms, he makes new forms, and he fills those. So, and he does this by creating boundaries, and he does it by dividing things. So he divides light from darkness to create the day and the night. Um, and he separates the land from the sea, and he creates a boundary there. Uh, then he fills these spaces. He fills the, the daytime with the sun, and fills the nighttime excuse me, with the moon and then he fills the ocean with fishes he fills the sky with birds he fills the land with animals and man so this is this is the pattern that we see god's making spaces and then he's filling them and every, and it's not like a it's not a, like just a three-dimensional space a place because the spaces each have meaning and purpose so every everything that god creates has a purpose so so like the sun Its purpose is to watch over the day. And the moon, it's designed to watch over the night. And the stars in the sky are to mark seasons and times. Um, And then you see God make a garden on the land. He separates the space on the land and makes a garden. And then he places man in there. And this garden has a special purpose. And the purpose is that's where man walks with God. This is the place where man and God commune. And the whole earth, the whole purpose of the entire space is to glorify God. This is the, this is the main purpose of all of creation. So, I want to kind of do a couple examples just so we know what we're talking about. So I want to talk about my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> so, my kitchen is a space. It's got boundaries. It's got walls. Um, it and, and things fill my kitchen, things live within the kitchen. Um, my, my refrigerator lives there, my uh, stove lives there, my, I have a sink that lives there, there's food that lives in my kitchen. These, these things all live there and, and people come in there and live there too, my family does. My boys are always in the kitchen eating everything. So. Um, and, and all of that is aligned towards a purpose. The kitchen has a purpose. The space has a purpose. It is designed for nutrition, preparing food, um, keeping food um, from spoiling. This, this is the purpose of the kitchen. And, and even you could say that it's a place of, of joy and hospitality and you know, people gathering together. Okay. Now let's move to a little more abstract space. I'm going to walk you more and more abstract so we get this because when we, we're so materialistic, I want to try to walk walk us through this. So let's think about a picnic. All right, a picnic is a space too. A picnic is, but it's not like a kitchen. It doesn't have necessarily walls. Like we'll set out like a little, we'll set out a blanket sometimes, kind of designates where the picnic's happening, but the picnic kind of happens around there. But things, like when you think of a picnic, you think of certain things that live within the picnic, that fill the picnic, like maybe a picnic basket, or food, or games, or fun. Um, And and the picnic has a purpose. The picnic is for fun, relaxation, to gather together with other people. Alright, so we're in the park, we're having a picnic, and let's say on the other side of the park, there's a wedding happening. Same park, same physical space, That is, the wedding is a different space than the picnic. Um, you know this because if there's, a, if there's kids running around screaming in the picnic, uh, you'll probably run around and scream with them too. But if a kid is running around screaming during the wedding, you, you would probably stop them or have to remove them from the wedding. <laughs> Because the wedding has a different purpose. It's filled with different things. You think of the things that fill the wedding. Chairs, a pastor, a bride and groom, a dress, um, bridesmaids, bridegroom. And the purpose for the wedding is for a man and a woman to commit to each other, to make a covenant. All right, now we're moving to the most abstract space. Um, It's a relational space. And this is what the bride and groom are doing at the wedding. They're entering into a space of marriage. Now, it's not physical space at all. It's, but it has all the same properties that we're talking about. It has boundaries. When you commit, when you enter into a marriage, there's boundaries that you don't cross anymore. So, that designates the space of the marriage. The marriage is between two people. So, so when me and Maria entered into marriage, we didn't we agreed not to have anyone else in the marriage <laughs> you know there's a strict boundary and things live within the within the marriage the so like uh, love commitment um, and then our our boys came out of the marriage um, a family grows up within the marriage um, so does this make sense how the space of marriage works and things are all right so there's a there's a Creation of the space by setting up boundaries or a division and filling it. All right. We get to the spot that I read just in Genesis, and we have the corruption of space. Okay, so now that we have a definition of it, um, space becomes corrupt when the purpose is turned into its opposite and when it becomes unlivable for the the things that are supposed to live in it. Um, So... I think I have a verse tree. Not yet. So the earth is filled with violence. The, the purpose of the earth was to give glory to God, but now it's filled with violence. This is the exact opposite of the purpose of the earth. So if we go back to my kitchen, if there, say there's a little mold I find in my kitchen. I can clean up the mold, hopefully, and, and the kitchen will be all right. The purpose of the kitchen will continue. But if there's black mold in all the walls, then the purpose of the kitchen, it's impossible. Because you go into the kitchen, you become sick. What was a place for nutrition and health and nourishment becomes a place of sickness. But the situation <laughs> on the earth in, in chapter 6 is much worse. It'd be like if there, w- <laughs> if there was a man in my kitchen that was specifically trying to poison us all the time. <laughs> Like, this is, there's an intentionality behind this, behind the man in my kitchen trying to poison me that, that goes beyond just accidental, or maybe, you know, black mold coming into the space, to where there's actually like a person there trying to harm me. And this is what's happening on the earth. People are just trying to harm one another. It says that every thought they had is um, bent on violence. So this is where I want to introduce Noah. And Noah, um, he's in the line of Seth. So he, he's, uh, he's, he's introduced at the end of the genealogy in chapter 5. And his father says to him, or when, when he's born, his father says, um, Out of the ground the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. I remember how God had cursed the ground, both with Adam and Cain? Well, this is what Noah's father, Lamech, is, is saying. He's, he's saying that it's so hard to grow anything that, that hopefully Noah will be the one that will bring us some relief. Um, Genesis, and then in Genesis 6, 7 through 9, I'll read. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds. Sorry, I'm going to break up reading this. <laughs> I don't even know why sometimes. It just, just the idea of the destruction of the world is, I mean, it's It's heavy. For I am sorry that I made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. All right. Noah walked with God. This is the same way that Adam walked with God in the garden when he was communing. That's the same phrase. Uh, Adam walked with God and communed with him. Noah walked with God. So he found favor with God. Genesis six thirteen and 14. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold. Sorry. I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. So God is going to destroy the world because of this corruption. And he tells Noah to make an ark. And the word here in Hebrew, I have no idea how to pronounce it, but it's T-E-B-A-H. It's like Tebah or something. Interesting thing, little note. Um, The only other time this word appears in the Bible is uh, to reference the basket that Moses, as an infant, is placed in when his mother is trying to save him from the genocide of all the Hebrew babies in Egypt. Noah, or Moses, as an infant, gets placed in an ark, and and she places it in the river. Um, so, God tells Noah to make an ark, and he says, now go back. Uh, make yourself an ark and make rooms in the ark. The ark is a little space. And then the word for rooms is actually more like nests. So, you, so God tells him to make a space called an ark out of gopher wood. And he gave, gives the dimensions in chapter 6. And then he also says... Divide that up into smaller spaces for things to live in. And this is where God tells him that he's going to gather all the animals, or, or pairs of animals, from, the, from the, all over the world to come into the ark. So the ark is kind of like a tiny world, but it's not, it's not like a model of the world, um, but it, it's like a seed like a like a like a seed from a tree has everything needed, like if you planted a seed, uh you could grow a whole forest, but it's such a tiny thing and but it has a forest within it, the potential for a forest. This is what the ark is. The ark has it's everything that it needs to it has everything within it to to uh, make the world once once. God destroys it. I'm going to read in chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of clean animals, and make the the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of birds from heaven also. male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights, and every living thing that I have made will, I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all the Lord had commanded him. So we see Noah acting in obedience and faith. Um, in, in Hebrews, he's commended, in Hebrews is in the New Testament, he's, Noah is commended and named as a man of great faith, Um, obeyed god and and survived and was part of this renewal of creation so then the flood comes i'll read in verse 11 of chapter 7. in the 600th year of noah's life in the second month on the 17th day of the month on that day the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of heaven were opened. And rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, kind of just want to, just real quickly, the, the fountains, go back one more, the fountains of the great deep and the windows of heaven. Um, if we remember back to Genesis one, when God created the earth on day two, I believe. So he separates light from darkness. Then he separates the waters. So the earth was watery chaos. He separates the waters above and the waters below. Um, and this is what it's referring to. It's saying that these heavens were opened up, the waters coming down, and the fountains from deeper are, are coming up. And the reason why I mention it is because the story of the flood is a creation story in reverse. The God... God isn't just destroying the world. He's uncreating it. <laughs> In uh, verse 17 and 18, or I'll read this. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The water increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. I want you to just compare these verses. There's a there's several of these things in the flood story. This is one of them that corresponds to the creation account, but it's kind of backwards. Um, the waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. That's, Genesis, that's the flood story. This is the creation story in Genesis 1-2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Um, see the ark floating on the face of the waters and the spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. The author of the book is trying to tell us something about how we're going back. The world is uncreated. Um, So I'm going to continue reading in chapter 7. Verse 19. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth and All the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed over the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep, and all flesh, all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures. Sorry, I can't even see now. (laughs) I have a flood in my eyes. (laughs) All swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind. Everything on the dry land, in whose nostrils was the breath of life, died kind <laughs> of I'm running a little short on time, so I'm going to skip forward to chapter eight, verse thirteen in the six hundred and first year, in the first month, on the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth, so the flood happened now there earth has dried out. And Noah removed the covering from the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you, all flesh, of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creepy thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. So the flood has destroyed everything, and they come out of the ark, and this is um, one thing I want to share, is that the flood destroys, but it also brings renewal. It destroys and brings renewal. Um, and this is, this is just literally the case with floods, any type of flood. Floods cause more damage and harm in the world than anything else. Um, we, you know, I mean, I got flash flood warnings this morning on my phone, <laughs> uh, but floods also bring renewal. Rivers with floodplains have extremely fertile soil. That's why civilizations sprung up around rivers. It's, um, it's because the soil around a floodplain is so rich. The, the flood will sweep out salts that get in the soil and make it hard for things to grow. And then it will um, bring in silt that's rich in nutrients that um, can help crops grow. And we and we see that this is the case for this flood too. Chapter eight, verse twenty. Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. So this is the curse of the ground. He says, I'm never going to do that again. The ground has been renewed. The judgment has come. The flood has come. And God said, I'm never going to curse the ground again. Then it goes on. I will never curse the ground because of man. For his intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And then the next thing we see is that God makes a covenant. This is... Genesis 9, 8 through 17. I won't read the whole thing, all of that. But it says, Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. Now remember the idea of marriage being a space. God is creating, as he creates the world again after the flood, so the world is uncreated, he creates it again. But he also creates this space called a covenant. And this is a relationship. God is establishing relationship with the earth again. And he says, And with every every creature that is with you, the birds and the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as come out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God says he's not going to uncreate the earth again. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I've set my bow, my rainbow, in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Um. So God reverses the curse of the ground and he also makes a covenant. And the earth is renewed. I just want to share how this story points to Christ. Christ takes on the curse of death. When When Adam and Eve sinned, there was the curse of death that was brought on them. Um, and instead of the world being flooded, Christ himself bore the judgment for that. And because, because of that, he reverses the curse. In Second Timothy 1.10, it says, Our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Christ also brings a new covenant. In Hebrews 9.15 it says, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word and thank you so much for your renewal Thank you for the work of Christ and his defeating or reversing the curse of death and bringing forth a new covenant that we can participate in eternal life. It's in your name. Amen.